Brothers and sisters, on Judgment Day, will we be at his right or at his left? Where will we stand before Christ our judge? We might squirm a little bit in the pew when we think about matters like judgment, but I'm reminded by the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which I read this week, where it says the pastor should frequently press upon the faithful matters of judgment so that the perverse tendencies of the human heart can be restrained and the faithful will learn the best manner of living and exercise themselves in every practice of piety. When you think about judgment or the last judgment or Christ the King at the end of time, maybe the most famous image we have in our minds is that of the last judgment of the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo painted this enormous uh, painting that's at the Vatican still. And if you study it for quite a while, it's, it's like a sobering experience. It's like you look at this painting for a few minutes and you ponder the weighty realities of our destiny, and it's worth more than a hundred homilies. I encourage you to look up that image. There's actually a little black and white picture of it on the front of the handout that I gave to you at church tonight. It's by all the doors about the last things. It's 44 feet tall. And in the center, Christ stands in this swirling mass of humans and angels around him. And most of the people in the Last Judgment are naked as a sign that before Christ the judge, you can hide nothing. He sees who we truly are. On the left side of the painting is the, the souls who are the blessed, the, the sheep, and they're lifted up to heaven. But on the right side are those who are the accursed, the damned, and they're dragged down to hell by demons. We believe that the moment of our death, each of us will enter into either the blessedness of heaven right away or through a purification called purgatory, or we will be cast into the immediate and everlasting damnation that is hell. The judgment of Christ is perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly right, and there's no appeal, there's no argument. How we live this life and, and what choices we made and who we truly have become will be as clear as day when we die. In fact, when Christ gives his judgment of whether we're on his left or on his right, we will all agree. We will all say, yes, that's who I am. This is what I've chosen. We will agree with his judgment, and we will go to our place for eternity. This whole experience is called the particular judgment because it's particular to every soul. It happens right when you die. There's also another kind of judgment that's called the general judgment or the last judgment at the end of time. And in the last judgment, the very bodies of all the dead will be raised. Jesus talks about this in the fifth chapter of John's gospel. He says, the Father has given the Son, meaning him, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus talks about all people coming out of the tombs together, but to two very different outcomes. There's the resurrection of life, and there's the resurrection of judgment. There's the sheep, and there's the goats. Those raised to the resurrection of life enjoy supreme happiness and unending joy in heaven. It's a state of ecstatic love, which we can barely imagine on this earth. The pleasures of heaven are both spiritual and bodily. The saved are completely in union with God, and every person in heaven loves every other person in heaven perfectly in and through God. Those in heaven also enjoy perfect health of body and every other good that creation can offer. If there was something enjoyable and good on earth, it will be taken to the infinite degree in heaven, whatever that is. But those raised to the resurrection of judgment, however, receive the punishments of the damned. And these are also spiritual and bodily. The worst torment is the spiritual one that's called the pain of loss. It's knowing that one could have had perfect happiness, but knowing that one freely chose to reject God's gift, and those continue to reject it forever. It's like their conscience gnaws away inside of them in the mind with constant regret and self-hatred, and yet they will still not give that up because of their hatred for God. The body which is resurrected also suffers physical torments, worse than all those one could possibly conceive of on earth. And so hell is just a suffocating, lonely, agonizing darkness. But it is chosen. If this makes us tremble a little bit, then let's just remember that the entire reason that the Son of God came into the world was to save us from hell. Christ came to deliver us from sin, from wicked deeds, from selfishness, from our propensity to reject God, to turn away from Him and make a world for ourselves. Christ restored our friendship with God through His life, death, and resurrection, and heaven now stands open to us. And we can give thanks to God tonight that God's mercy can forgive any sin. God's mercy can forgive all sins, and He desires to take away every sin from our hearts. In this life, we always have a chance to repent before that particular judgment. You see, through our faith in Christ and by the Holy Spirit within us, We don't have to live a wicked life. We aren't compelled to sin anymore. We can now live a good life, even if temptations abound. We can do good deeds continually, constantly, habitually. We can grow in good deeds. And the thing is, we do good deeds not to get into heaven, because Christ has already opened heaven for us. We do good deeds because we've become people of heaven here on earth.
That's a huge difference. Friends, if we're trying to do good deeds so we can pry heaven open for ourselves, if we're trying to do good deeds because we're afraid that God just doesn't like us and hates us and hopefully we can please Him by doing a few good things, we have not understood the gospel of God. Christ has opened heaven already for you because He loves you. The goods we deeds we do are now a response to His Spirit within us that we can now live a life of Jesus. We can live a life of love. We can do good deeds because that's who we are. I'm a person of, I'm a man of heaven. I'm a woman of heaven still living on this earth. Christ lives within me. So with that in mind, to conclude, let's go back to the parable right now. Did you notice how neither the sheep nor the goats saw Christ with their eyes in this life? They both say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or see you thirsty? They say the same thing. But the goats are condemned because they didn't help the poor who they did see with their eyes. They did see them. They saw the hungry and thirsty, but did not help them. Christ associates himself with the least, the poor, the needy, the stranger. In the least of his brothers and sisters, he makes himself mysteriously present. That's where he wants us to find him. If we're truly people of heaven, if we're truly people who have accepted God's gift of salvation, if we truly know that we're his sheep already, then we must not look away from Christ in the distressing disguise of the poor. When we feed them, shelter them, welcome them, we're feeding and sheltering and welcoming Jesus Christ. So friends, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, we will not have time to change our choice. There will be no arguing, no appeal, no excuses, no time to go back and do things differently. We will have already made our choice. Whether we stand on Christ's right or on on His left depends on what we choose today. So if we're people of heaven and we want to be among Jesus' sheep, then let us choose to take care of the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters.